in a series of studies on Sunday morning on the Lord's intercessory prayer. This morning we come to verse number 6, and it's the sixth in this series. John chapter 17, verse number 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest to me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Three of the most memorable prayers that ever fell from the lips of the Son of God are these. Number one, the model prayer. It was in this prayer that our Lord taught his disciples to pray. They were the nucleus of the first New Testament church, and they said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And the Lord said, when you pray, say. So he taught them how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The second is the Gethsemane prayer. It was in this prayer that Christ confronted the devil about the cross. And Satan endeavored to talk Christ out of that. But the Lord Jesus said over and over again, Not my will, but thine be done. And then we come to the third one, and that is the intercessory prayer of our Lord. It is the prayer that Christ, who is our high priest, intercedes for his elect. It's the Lord's intercessory prayer. In this particular intercessory prayer, the Savior prays before his disciples in their presence. He did not do this in Gethsemane. They slept the whole time he was praying but he causes them to stay awake and to listen to what he's praying on an intercessory basis. They heard every word that fell from his lips, recorded in John chapter number 17. They could not participate as they did in the model prayer. In the model prayer, he said, when you pray, say. They could not participate in this prayer. All they could do was observe. For in that holy circle where our Father prayed, there was only room for two personalities, God the Father and God the Son. The disciples were utterly helpless to do anything as they heard the Lord Jesus pray. What do you suppose they thought? when they heard these words flow from his mouth to the Father's ear. What do you think they must have thought as they heard him pray? What do you suppose they felt as he prayed and some of the things he said in that prayer? Do you suppose it may have bothered them a little bit? John 17 is a sequel to John 13. John 13 begins the upper room discourse 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John 17, as well as John 13, we see our high priest in both chapters ministering on behalf of his people. In John 13, the Lord lays one hand on the defiled feet of the saints. Do you remember when he approached Simon Peter? Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord said, if I wash not your feet, you have no part with me. He laid his hands on the defiled feet of his saints. However, in John 17, he lays the other hand on the throne of the Father. Thus connecting the two, he brings man and God together. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 13, he was stooping and looking down at our dirty feet. In John 17, he's looking into the face of the Father, presenting to him our needs. Remember the chapter outline we gave you when we spoke the first sermon in this series. Number one, Christ prays for himself. You find that in verses 1 through 8. Second of all, Christ prays for his disciples in verse 9 and verse in 2 verse 19, but specifically for the apostles. But we must not forget there were others saved during the ministry of their Lord other than just the apostles. There were 500 brethren who witnessed his resurrection on the mount. They had come to know Christ as Savior. There were 120 even in the upper room. They were also witnesses of his resurrection. So Christ prays for himself, verses 1 through 8. He prays for his disciples in verses 9 through 19. And finally, he prays for all future believers that will come to know him as Savior through the ministry of the apostles and their early New Testament witnesses for Christ. Verses 20 through 26. Please note the first section of the prayer. Please note the first section of the prayer. Christ prays for himself. It takes precedence over all the rest of the prayer because it deals with the glory of God. The glory of God the Father and the Son is more important than the apostles. The glory of God the Father and the Son is more important than the church. The glory of God the Father and the Son is more important than anything in this world we could possibly think of. Now, there are three things in this verse. Did you see them as I read verse 6? I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Number one, we want to see this morning what the Son has done. What Christ Jesus personally has done. He says to the Father, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me, or which thou hast given me. 
Second of all, we see what the Father has done. Notice three, four words. Thou gavest them me. He says to the Father, you gave them to me. And number three, what the disciples have done in receiving the word, they have kept thy word. Let's look at it. Number one, what the Son has done. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou hast given me. Basically, specifically, he's talking about the twelve disciples here. Lord, you gave them to me and I've manifested your name unto them. That word manifested means to make known and to declare fully. Jesus Christ spoke maybe in parables without a doubt, but he never spoke in riddles. Jesus Christ never said anything that he didn't mean and that was not truth. I have manifested, I have manifested thy name under the men. Manifested is a word phaneros in the Greek and it means to make clearly and plainly. If there's anything that the church needs today is to understand clearly and plainly what the Word of God teaches. And it is manifested. As I said, God doesn't speak in riddles. He has manifested His name. I've manifested thy name refers to who God is and all of His attributes. It seems like that some preachers today are given to talking about psychological issues. How you can have a happy home and how you can please your husband and how you can raise your children and how you can have the kind of finances you need to be content with the things in life. Why why don't we get back to God and start studying the attributes of God, who God is, and those things that make Him God. Christ said, I've manifested thy name under the men which thou hast given me. Notice carefully, it is a restricted manifestation. He does not manifest it to everybody. But he has a group that he manifests it to. Not given to all, but only to those whom the Father had given him, the elect. He said, well, Brother Cozart, I don't particularly like that word. You know what? I don't care. It doesn't bother me whether you like it or whether you don't like it. When you come into this church, it is our wholehearted desire and consent to preach you the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. You don't like it? Take it up with him who said it and who wrote it. It is a restricted manifestation. Notice given only to the elect. There is in Matthew chapter number 11, verses 25 through 27. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things 
from the wise and the prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Why would God do a thing like that? Because it seemed good in His sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knows the Son except the Father. And no man knows the Father except the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. It is a matter of revelation. Manifestation. After the resurrection, Jesus Christ appeared only to believers. Have you ever noticed that? He never talked to the scribes and the Pharisees after the resurrection. He never talked to the gainsayers and the infidels after the resurrection. He didn't even appear to them. He appeared to those that belonged to him. I believe he's only going to appear to believers when he comes at the rapture. I do not find that unbelievers are going to see him then. When he comes at the revelation, all eyes shall see him. But when he comes to get his church, he's coming to talk to his church. He's coming to talk to his people and only to his people. Not only is it a restricted manifestation, it is a regenerated manifestation. There are two things that a blind man must have if he's going to see. Number one, he must have light and he must have sight. The light of knowledge is not enough. Some of the smartest people in the world are professional infidels. You can have all the knowledge that man has to give you, but that's not enough to make you see. You not only just need light, you need sight, and sight requires a regeneration. He must be regenerated and have his spiritual eyesight restored. John chapter 3, verse number 3. The Lord Jesus said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that little word see does not, work, does not refer to a physical eyesight. It refers to mental and intellectual understanding. A man, unless he's born again, cannot understand spiritual things. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. There are some professed believers who read John 17 with dry eyes. They've read it before, and they'll probably read it again, but they read it with dry eyes. There are other professed believers who read John 17 with tears in their eyes. Some believers stand on the shore admiring the waves, while other believers jump into the water enjoying the waves. When you read John 17, do you stand on the shore or do you jump into the water and really enjoy it? 
And I can tell you one way you can know whether you're enjoying it or not. All of a sudden you're going to find out you have some tears in your heart and tears in your eyes for great things he hath done for those who never deserved any good thing. The grace of God and the glory of God. Psalm 22, verse 22, Christ said, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. John 1, 18, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. In the epistle of John, that is 1 John, his first epistle, Notice how they spoke with absolute dogmatism. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon him, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested. There's the word again, to make clear, to make known. The life was manifested. We've seen it. We bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we've seen and heard declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things we write unto you that your joy may be full. Now here's a clincher. This then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, L-I-G-H-T, light, and in Him is no darkness at all. The Lord Jesus declared the love of the Father by miracles. When Christ would perform a miracle, it was to show the people that God loved sinners, that God had that capacity to love It was reflected in Lazarus. My goodness, I feel another hour coming on. Lazarus. You know why he went to see Lazarus? In John 11 said he loved Mary. He loved Mary, he loved Martha, and he loved Lazarus. He did not attend the funeral of Judas Iscariot. There are some people that he does not love. And he likes to be with those he does love. And he declared the love of the Father by the miracles. Bartimaeus was another. The demoniac. He traveled all across the the Galilean Sea in a time of storm to get to the other side because of one man, a Gadarean demoniac, who was possessed with demons. And God expelled those demons. And God saved that demoniac. He declared the wrath of the Father by driving out the money changers. You say, well, we need more preaching on the love of God. No, you need more preaching in the Bible. God is love, but He's more than love, my dear friends. And when Jesus Christ walked into that temple, the money changers knew He meant business. Hey, I've been asked the question before. Brother Kozart, do you think that He actually took a scourge? Our little, gentle, sweet, loving baby Jesus. You think he would do a thing like that? Doesn't make any difference whether he would do a thing like that or not. He did it. 
But the money changers got the point. They believed he would do something like that. And they went out the doors and they went out the windows. He was exercising the wrath. God has every right in the world to exercise his attributes. Sometimes their love, sometimes their wrath. He declared the holiness of God by becoming accursed on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know why the Father forsook the Son? Because of the attribute of divine holiness. That when Christ became sin for us, he must be punished in our place. And that happened because of the holiness of God. He declared the grace of God by saving the thief on the cross. Even one thief had said, you know what, we're getting what we deserve. And yet the Lord looked at him and said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. He declared the power of the Father by calming the seas. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, it says the Father, he doeth the works. That's a pretty important statement there that whenever Christ performed a miracle, it was the Father in Him that was doing the work. And He manifested that. He manifested it. That's what the Son has done. Now let's look at number two, what the Father has done. What the Father has done according to our text. Did you pick up on it? I've manifested thy name unto the men that thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were, and here it comes, thou gavest them me. Christ said, they gave, he, God the Father, gave them me. Thou gavest them me. John 17 is saturated with the statement that you find in verse number 6. You find it in verse number 2, and I'm not going to take the time. I'll give you the verses. You find it in verse 2, in verse 6, in verse 9, in verse 11, in verse 12, and in verse 24, Thou gavest them me. Thou gavest them me. Thou gavest them me. Several years ago, I preached from this pulpit a sermon on the subject somebody gave somebody to somebody. Somebody gave somebody to somebody. Now, dear friend, let me tell you something. And, and listen, I have I've received all kinds of complaints from people they don't like election. They just don't believe that God would elect some people and not elect everybody. They don't like election. If you don't see that somebody gave somebody to somebody, you need to go back to school. You missed some education along the way. Who is the somebody that gave? Who are those that were given and to whom were they given? You can't read John 17 with that over and over and over again ringing in your hearts and ringing in your ears. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2, elect according, there's that word again, 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Notice, the Father loved and chose a people. Is that okay? You're not quite sure? You need to stay a while after church today. We'll, we, we'll talk about it. Number two, the Son atoned for the sins of those people at Calvary. And number three, the Holy Spirit regenerates the sinner and brings him to Christ. Why does he do it? Why does he do that? Because no man can come to God on his own terms. He cannot do it. He doesn't want to do it. There's a necessity of the redeeming work and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. This gift of election. And by the way, I did not tell Brother Randy to read a scripture this morning on election. He's been with us long enough. He he brought some of that in. The church he had attended before, you know, and so it wasn't really a shock to his system. Isn't it amazing sometimes, even the songs we sing, brother, brother, and the sermon goes hand in hand, and we didn't get together and plan it. God purposes it. God brings it together. This gift of election was made before the creation of the world. According to Ephesians 1.4, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, if you don't get anything, please listen carefully to this statement. Verse number 6. Let me read it one more time for you. In verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Watch it. Thine they were, Christ is saying, Father, they belong to you. Thine they were, and you gave them to me. Verse 6 of our text makes it clear that they belonged to the Father before they belonged to the Son. Thine they were, and then thou gavest them to me. Thus, They belong to God the Father by election before they were saved. And you know what they were called? They were called a bunch of billy goats. No, they weren't. They were called lost sheep. And Jesus Christ said, I'm come to reach the lost sheep. He's not a goat herder. He's the shepherd of the flock. Just, well, aren't everybody sheep? No, not everybody. Well, aren't everybody goats? No, if they were, we wouldn't be saved today. God had his sheep, my dear friends, before the foundation. You say, I can't understand that. I know. That's the reason I look in the mirror and I say, good morning, dummy. Huh? This gift of election assures the salvation of all of God's elect in John chapter number 6, verses 37 and 39. John 6, verses 37 and 39. This is Brother Randy's part of his reading this morning. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. 
And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise him up again at the last day. All who were elected by the Father before the foundation of the world will come to Christ. Will come to Christ. This gift assures that salvation. This gift also belongs to a covenant that God made with His Son, Jesus Christ, before the worlds were ever made. In Psalm 89, verses 26 and 28, Psalm 89, verses 26 and 28, speaking prophetically of Christ, He shall cry unto me, God says, Thou art my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I will make Him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth, my mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. My covenant shall stand fast with him. In this, this council of holiness before the foundation of the world, the Lord God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together made a covenant as to what the responsibility would be in the salvation of the elect. They don't all do the work of the Father. They do not all do the work of the Son. They do not all do the work of the Holy Spirit. But there's a work which the Father does, the Son does, and the Lord Jesus Christ does. This gift belongs to a covenant that is irrevocable. We're given to Christ to be subjects of His kingdom. We're given to Christ to be subjects of his kingdom. What did he teach the disciples when they said, teach us to pray? He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Subjects of the kingdom of God. We are also given to Christ to be scholars in his school of learning. According to Matthew 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you, and what? Learn of me. Not only are we subjects to the kingdom, but we are scholars in his school. We should forever be learning day by day from the word he's given to us. We are given to Christ to be children of his family. Once in a while we'll sing this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join ours with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. What a privilege. We're given to Christ to be the bride of his love. We're given to Christ to be members of his body, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can apply this three ways. We should praise God the Father for bestowing us upon His dear Son. He bestowed, the Father bestowed upon the Son, this elect group that the Son would die for on the cross of Calvary. That's something to praise God about. Number two, we should praise the Lord Jesus for receiving us from the Father as a gift. He didn't push part of us back and say, I don't like that one. I don't want that one. No, no. Perfect agreement between the Trinity comes the election. 
And number three, we should bless the Holy Spirit for working the comfort of all of this in our souls. We have the Father up in heaven. We have the Son on the cross. And we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. What more could you possibly want for? Thirdly, what the disciples have done. Well, what have the disciples done? According to the text, I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them, and they have kept thy word. They have kept thy word. The ministry of Christ in manifesting the name of the Father was not without success and fruit. Not only did the disciples not see and hear it, but they kept it. And they practiced it. In Matthew thirteen twenty three, He that receiveth seed under the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now let's tie this all up. Obedience is an earmark of sheep. Obedience is an earmark of sheep. According to John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Obedience is an earmark of the sheep. Second of all, obedience will always follow the work of grace in salvation. John fourteen twenty three, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him and will manifest myself unto him. And thirdly, growth and maturity is always dependent on keeping the word, constantly growing in grace. According to 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. A work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the believer in this business of election. Before we leave this morning, would you turn to John chapter 6? John chapter number 6. In that chapter, the Lord has been revealing and teaching that He is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as Moses gave and the people are dead, but that furnishes life everlasting You need to read the entire 6th chapter of John. It's very tough preaching and teaching, but it's so. Look at verse number 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. (laughs) Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this? offend you. And then in verse number 66, from that time 
many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know why they went back? You know why they wouldn't walk anymore with him? They didn't like what he said. And there are a multitude of people today that don't like the preaching on the sovereignty of God and the irresistible grace of the Holy Spirit of God and the perseverance of the saints and many, 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 oh, we could include them all. Irresistible grace, absolutely. Perseverance of the saints, yes, absolutely. Uh, A limited atonement, a particular redemption that Christ did not die for everybody in case somebody might want to be saved. He saved somebody when he died. It was a real, a real atonement and redemption. Professors walked away because they didn't like his words. But the true sheep, the true sheep, they stayed with him. His words were eternal life to them. Read John 17, the intercessory prayer of the Lord. The Lord willing, we possibly will take up 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8 next Sunday. Let's stand please for prayer.